0: Okay, guys, so today we are talking about uh, clerics and everything else, and uh, we know that clerics are divinely inspired. They are going to be the class in the game that is the closest tied to a god. But how do you do uh, religious characters that are like a fighter or a barbarian or someone that might not get powers as a divine character but are a faithful religious person? Let's grab the dice and uh, talk about this.
1: I got a sixteen.
2: <laughs> got a fourteen.
1: I got a nineteen, and my favorite thing was that oh, everybody oh. just thought you were talking to yourself by your, by yourself there, Dan. No, <laughs> <Aww. clears throat> yeah, yeah,
0: we're all remote today. If if uh, the internet hasn't figured that out by now, because we're all self isolating,
1: like champs.
2: Yeah, respectfully.
1: Yeah, it has nothing to do with COVID. It has to do with Dan's basement. Yeah. Um, yeah, it kind of st- smells down here. All right. So no, uh, my answer really quickly is there's no problem. With having people pray to their gods. I have zero issue with that. That is 100% totally fine. Have your rituals. Have your superstitions. Have your religious rites. Have whatever it is that you want to do for any character. But it doesn't necessarily have mechanical impact upon gameplay.
0: I don't I don't see why it couldn't have some mechanical impact. Because like you're taking it away the... from clerics then. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I get that. Megan
2: No I would agree. I think that in if you're playing a character that's not um, divinely empowered or imbued I don't think that they should like the only thing I would see could potentially happen if a DM wanted it to would be like a divine intervention like let's say you do have like a yeah. fighter that every morning does their morning prayers just because that's a part of their character it's part of their backstory it's who they are every once in a while make them roll that D100 just to see if they get a message back right? So it doesn't really give them a bonus. It doesn't really give them anything in combat. It doesn't give them an extra spell. But I don't see why, if a person is role playing, the fact that they really, really want to have this connection with a deity, that potential to have that connection, right? So which could yeah, potentially yeah, lead, which could potentially lead to um, a future option, like a cross class, right? Like again, like at level fifteen, if something happens where like you know you have a divine intervention, maybe they do end up taking cleric spells later on, right? So or it just Paladin opens up or we'll ranger
1: or whatever, right? Like yeah. you're getting divine spells from a god, right? So uh,
0: Yeah, um, the way I view it is I would use the uh boon mechanics as in, in this loo and and have these uh deities if they have these champions of their uh faith who aren't necessarily paladins, aren't necessarily clerics, aren't aren't anything remotely divine spell Like, uh, let's, let's just go with like a dragon blooded, uh, sorcerer, Mm -hmm. right? Like have the gods eventually give boons, uh, you could do role play status, like people of the faith know of this person and their effectiveness and their devotion doesn't necessarily mean they have to have, um, like classes and, and class levels in any sort of divine class. There's all sorts of other ways i'm fully on board with it i think it adds a lot of depth to a character um to have an and if you are not playing a character that has an opinion on the gods i don't think you're playing a deep enough character like your characters should have an at least at the very least an opinion toward the gods um and if it's a devotion they should have a systematic theology to it where they know how their
1: theology plays out um i also think that that comes with the caveat that if you run across the blood war or you go to Mount Celestia, or even if you go to limbo, you know, like, how does that affect your pantheon, your faith, your God, your perspective? It, on things. It,
0: Exactly. Right. You should have an effect other than, Oh, we're in a, just a, a windy place as you land on pandemonium. Exactly. No, it, it like, there should be a, there should be a uh, deep religious aspect to planar travel as well. I, I believe.
2: Well, I think that's a good conversation to have as we always talk about in session zero. Like, do gods exist on this plane? And if so, is in to ask those questions when you're in that character development. What is your devotion? What does it look like? Are you connected to someone? Right? Like, just have that in your list of questions so yeah. that if it ever does come up, you, you have that answer for yourself already. Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Megan.
0: Welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I'm Dan and with me remotely are Megan and Adam. Hello. And today we're talking about clerics
1: again. Yay. Look, there are (laughs) there are 12 different subclasses for clerics right now. That doesn't include the UA nonsense. So we're going to circle back to this topic a couple more times, too.
0: Yeah, we're, we'll we'll be back and forth with clerics quite a lot. Um, but today uh, we are back to it with our three uh, domains that we that we chose. Um, we'll we'll unveil those later, since Adam gave me hell for you know breaking that seal early before. So so that'll be the mystery as we go through this first topic, as we as we dive into kind of like we've done with a lot of these second uh, round throughs. Um, the Xanathar's options for role-playing, um, in your clerics and the things that could help add some flavor to your clerics. Um, so what we're going to be talking about real quick, right off the start is, uh, the temples, the keepsakes, and the secrets of your, uh, cleric
1: and their order. I mean, um, look, they have a D6 table you... on each one of them, right? So that you're supposed to yeah. roll potentially randomly, um, They do this for everything in Xanathar, so they've got these D6 tables that you pick and choose, uh, these details about your character. I suggest using them as inspiration. Um, You can roll, but, I mean, if you're going to be married to a character for a decent amount of time, if for a one-shot, I'm not even bothering with this nonsense, right? But if I want to dig in, even for a three-month campaign, I want to know a little bit more. I want to dive deeper. I want to choose. I don't want to... I don't want to have it chosen for me necessarily.
0: Yep. Um, And I mean, this, the the way that these are kind of engineered, I mean, these aren't the ranger tables. The ones for the ranger tables are bullshit and they're terrible and I hate them. These ones actually inject quite a lot of um, circumventing thought to your uh, character creation to kind of think of interesting ways that your character has grown up or what thing they have with them that they uh, either mentally or uh physically that really influences their day-to-day decisions. I love the cleric options here. They are really well thought out, and as someone who's played a quite a lot of clerics in the past, having these options helps me play a unique cleric every time. You've got tons of options for domains. This is going to add a lot more flavor to that as well. So, um uh if you guys are good with it, let's start with going over where your cleric uh learned his faith, where he learned his, uh, arts or his, uh, trade as a person of faith, their temple. Now, uh, most temples are, um, places of, uh, community worship. Yes. But there is also a bit of a monastic, uh, tradition to it. That's kind of a behind closed doors aspect to temples. And these options here give you an option uh, for your clerics to see what their temple was like, either behind closed doors or how it interacted with the community around them. So um, right off, uh, like your table here has, you know, your temple is the oldest surviving structure. Think of what uh, are the oldest surviving structure to honor to your god. Think of what kind of prestige that would uh, bring to your cleric as being someone who was taught at that church within your order, right? Um, you could, you know, have a uh, temple that was famed for its brewery, or I would throw in like its uh, vineyards, its harvest, its uh, cattle, its uh, arts, its whatever. Um, and s- people would come from miles around to see or taste whatever your temple made right uh i i love that idea as well as you are now playing a creation style cleric who's got some skills and and has honed their uh peace towards uh some sort of work of the hands um you could also go militaristic with it and your temple was a straight up a fortress a bastion of good and order and protection for the surrounding area around it and it was a proving ground for warrior priests these are cool things so guys um, i want you to grab your dice we're gonna roll uh i want you to tell me one really cool idea for a temple or monastic tradition
1: for a cleric all, all right. right i got a two i'm rolling great today <laughs> got a 16. uh dan you and i are rolling off i also got a two okay 12 oh, i got a six all right right. I'm going last
0: Okay, Megan. Uh, a cool temple idea. What you got for okay. us? Okay,
2: so I totally agree with Adam in what he said earlier about how these kinds of ideas are just ideas to jump off of, right? Like you can read these and get inspiration in different ways or different kinds of things that you want to do. And the first thing that came into my head when I heard the word temple was Howl's Moving Castle. Like a move. Oh, cool! Like, like yeah, a, nice. A moving temple. Right. Like it's a temple that's like invisible to the naked eye and only people that are of the faith can see it. And it's constantly moving and shows up where it's needed, when it's needed. Right. So it can be that random safe haven that appears out of nowhere to the party in the middle of. Like right after a battle ends and you have no idea how you're going to rest, right? Like and you're you're, you're starting to panic about, well, we've got to go and do this thing. We don't have time. Suddenly this magical castle appears out of anywhere, out of nowhere. And the only person who knows what it is, is the cleric being like, this is a place we have refuge, guys. I know what this is. You go in and you can spend like a day or two out of the battle, out of the scene in this temple that just randomly appeared, um, but is a huge piece of this cleric's background that's in your party that never spoke of it. Right, and then that's almost how you that, could that, introduce gods, right? So
1: that is absolutely incredible. I love that idea. Yeah, I thought it was um,
2: pretty cool. I um, think that's fun me, because
1: it's like it's like a Mordenkainen's magnificent mansion, except it's a physical place that you can just walk into. It's not there's no portal to an extra dimensional space, right? I think that's yeah. that's actually a lot of fun, and the uh, I also like the idea of there being a temple in the sky. Could, I have a question.
0: Does it move between planes? Like, could it move between planes and, like, this is suddenly your vehicle into other dimensions of existence, other planar areas? I uh, See, I don't like, see the purpose
1: this- for that, Dan. The idea would that be, is my head with temples, there are temples on every plane to every god, right? And so, yep. like, you have to, if you go to, say, the Happy Hunting Grounds... Um, and uh, you're wandering around, you may have to look for your god's temple that exists here. I wouldn't necessarily have the temples you, move back and forth. Maybe there's teleportation circles between planes. Like, you can planar yeah. or shift because, like, from one temple to another on a different plane. But I don't see the purpose in having something that shifts like that. I, I think... It, well, I... I think... If it, it's a major plot point, I, I, I could see, like,
0: it is... Uh, One of the MacGuffins you have is the ability, because this thing could move around the material plane at will and pop in and out, have like a MacGuffin that your party goes and gets that's some sort of ingredient that gives it the ability to go to Mount Celestia or gives... Gives gives it an ability to at least project into Mount Celestia of some sort. Like if you're gonna have a magical moving castle, have a magical moving castle. Yeah, and that that would be the point.
2: I think that to me is, is again, it would be up to DM discretion, right? Like, is plane yeah. jumping an option in your campaign to begin with, right? <laughs> if it's not, then then you wouldn't use it for that. It is definitely just on this plane it can move and it disappears and it's all divine intervention. Like it's divine intervention, right? Like the sky is technically the limit. So you as the DM would choose what that limit is, right? But I just thought it was neat because I love the idea of it just being this random safe haven that sometimes comes out of nowhere that reinstills a cleric's faith who just went through a bunch of battles and is losing, you know, what their feelings are and their connection. And all of a sudden this castle appears to them when they need it, right? Right like it's it, that it, light it's
0: kind of like at the end of the lord of the rings when they see the eagles coming down to pick them up from the mountain yeah like there's the lights behind it and it's silhouetted in this radiance and it's like finally you're beaten down you're on your last hit points and you look up and there's hope embodied
2: but in i also I love, love the idea that the cleric is the only one that can see it until you walk through the <laughs> oh. doors so the cleric is literally going fucking mad sane, being like guys I can't believe this is here. It's going to be so great. Just follow me. And they're just like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And then all of a sudden they walk through the doors and there's this giant fucking castle in front of them, right? Like it'd just be, I think that's be a hilarious thing to role play out, right? <laughs> the,
1: the barbarian's just like, it's a cloud. What's your problem? Uh, I like taking it a step further and the cleric dies. That, that's the character that dies. And so there's always the idea that the castle could be there. Everybody reach up. Can you can you feel a castle above you? No. Can yeah. let's shoot magic missile up into the air and see if it hits anything. Right. Like <laughs> the barbarian starts swinging his axe around. It's oh, got to be here somewhere, right? Like I like the idea of <laughs> of that being an invisible part of the world that maybe now your party can't see. Yeah. Cool. Um, for me, I
0: I like the idea of a temple that. Um, is a temple without walls if you if you catch my uh drift it is a uh community garden it's a uh town square it is one of these areas that is um definitely committed to some either deity or or some group of deities but it is a uh it is a communal space uh that let's nature invade in let's community invade in and it's it's less about this you know gothic architecture walls and beauty of the building itself and more of the lifeblood of the people that are engaged in it this is this is kind of where i want to lead my next cleric that i make who is who is uh About bringing people together and enhancing community, these are going to be the guys who are the brewers, and they raise bees and have uh, grape fields uh, for and and vineyards for uh, winemaking. Have you know expert chefs and are training in like hospitable trades to uh, really build this togetherness as a, a group and your party comes in and you might just consider this being like some weird commune, like some socialist commune that is happening, but you you eventually learn that no, this is in fact a church of I don't know, Shantae or or one of these nature gods. No,
1: look, Dan, I hear what you're saying and I like it, but I have seen uh Midsummer and um communes are evil places under the guise of nice, bright shiny things and if everyone is there and smiling and all loving a singular god with flowers in their hair and wearing all the pure white linens and prancing around the in the fields and eating pubic hair i think was that part of that movie
0: oh my god i don't know i never
1: saw it um don't (laughs) don't just don't just don't that's there there's there's where i come from don't okay
0: well, see, I'm 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 okay
1: with it. If it if it's an evil commune,
0: then that's an evil commune. It's still a temple. Yeah. Right? And and you could you can it's just a temple to an evil god and now instead of enjoying your time, your party's trying to burn it all down. So, I mean, it's um it it goes either way. Adam, uh you
1: rolled next on the thing here for temples. What do you got? Um Okay, so bear with me. Uh, I had uh, kind of the same idea as Megan with a moving temple. And I had kind of the same idea as you with an outdoor temple. But my temple was a slab, a horizontal uh, horizontal slab of, of rock that uh, is affixed to a hilltop. And there is a singular paladin that sits there and guards over it. And you can come and pray, one person at a time, and the paladin has to allow you to do it.
2: Would it be like the only like praying area option for that specific deity or like would there be other tablets around the plains?
1: Oh, there would be others around the plains and you could go to other temples. But here in this area, if you want to talk to this god, they listen to you when you are here on the third moon of each year and and there's a sacred protector of it. This is the temple. And just, like, hard stop. It's almost an, an old, an old uh, like, um, Germanic or Celtic way of looking at what a proper temple is. It's more of an altar than anything else. That is yeah, just, it's like
0: standing stones or something like that on the top of a mountain or something. Yeah,
1: you know, you could put it inside a miniature Stonehenge even, right? But I like the idea of there just being one slab of rock on top of a hill. And then I was I, thinking, I... sorry, go ahead.
0: I, I see this as being, like, the guy from The Last Crusade who's, like, watching over uh the, the cups. Um, yeah. Yeah, a right? little, and, little and... bit.
1: I also just like the idea of there being the Black Knight sitting there who never needs to eat or sleep or drink water. And he just stands vigil. And he is there beside this, guarding it. And maybe he's some sort of ancestral... Uh, guardian from he's been there for millennia and he protects it from the forces of evil so that people can come and pray um i I don't know i like it but it also that feels a little druidic to me so then i thought well wouldn't some enterprising young cleric come by pick the damn thing up with a couple of ogres and cart it around with a pavilion and have a traveling (laughs) a traveling temple which is, is, these guys are like soothsayers and snake handlers, but there's a legit temple in the middle of this pavilion that just goes town to town.
2: I just, I'm just also now imagining like a paladin just carrying a stone slab on his back. Like just constantly, right? If it needs <laughs> to move or needs to shuffle or got a message saying, hey, like time to move the, to- the stone slab. Then he just like ropes this thing to his back and he just it, comes... It- you just come across this paladin in the middle of the forest as he's moving his temple, and you're like, "What the hell are you doing with that stone, man?" And he's like, "My duty." Like, <laughs> it, it, it's
1: it's. He said, "Duty." A do- no, the 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 he has uh, to go to the bathroom really badly. It's not asking the questions. <laughs> My god, drop
0: this stone off. Um, no, uh, uh, this is Obelisk from the Asterix shows, right, and, and comics right just a dude carrying around a big old minute um, what what's that called a meher or menhir or the big stone am I the only one here that has read asterisks
2: yeah I think that you're on your own on this one Frendo. I
0: read it,
1: I read it but a long time ago I was like in my oh god preteen
0: <laughs> so uh, you're completely right in the fact that it's like dramatic or gall um focused uh form of worship adam like uh that's what asterix is inspired by very much so is the germanic Gaul tribes of the roman era but
1: uh but i mean it does feel a little little druidic to me as well so i'm not 100 sold on this until you get the uh the snake oil salesman um cleric doing his thing right given (laughs) the 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 faith healing
0: the only the only problem with like the one dude uh carrying this thing around um is it stops it really from being a temple and it's more of a keepsake oh yeah transitions no, got no, it no 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 so, hold on no no it's not one dude
1: carrying it around it's a dude who has ogres drag it around he's got a whole he's got a whole caravan of people and he comes into the outskirts of town and he sets up shop and he hands out blessings for a price yeah but, okay th- yeah but yeah, the temple I, okay, itself I, okay. is a legit temple
0: so they're just carrying around. But you're saying it's just a single slab, like the temple is just a single
1: slab of stone. There's one holy relic that they have. And as long as they have the holy relic, whatever pavilion or tent they put up around it becomes a temple.
0: OK, yeah, no, I'm I'm with you because um, I'm going to try to make this another segue that you will probably ruin for me again, is if you have that one little holy relic, that's a great keepsake, which we'll talk about next. Um, you can't see it I'm doing finger guns right now. Um so keepsakes are those uh little items those holy relics um in catholic tradition these are like um the finger bones of saints or uh dirt from Golgotha where Christ was crucified and stuff like that. Like these these are little things that are referential to your specific faith that have uh more uh symbolism to them than just a simple mark of your deity more than just like an amulet with your sigil on it um the some of the options they have here are a finger bone of a saint or a a metal bound ancient book that tells you um like secrets of your order there's uh, a braid of hair woven from the tail of a divine creature like i got a question
1: dan what the fuck is a sure. pig whistle uh 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 it's a pig's whistle what yeah oh, what uh, what is a pig's whistle a pig's
0: whistle that reminds you of your humble and beloved mentor i
1: have i have my answer to what a pig's whistle would be but i want to know I, what I, the real answer is because my answer is uh skews in the direction of terry's dirty mind
0: I I think a pig whistle is a, a very small, like it's a penny whistle is another name for it. It's just a very very small
1: recorder type whistle,
2: like half of a pa- pan flute.
1: I'm looking uh, it up. We- <laughs> I'm going like to look it up, fi- and I will let you know how many penises I run into because we're 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 mobile, we're remote. I actually have a computer in front of me, so there you go. <laughs> Pigs whistle. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I I want you to know that
1: the the only thing that I got was Peppa Pig or whistles in the shape of pigs. There's one particularly Um, disturbing one. Oh, this one looks good as some
0: sort of microphone. I typed in in legit pig's whistle with the apostrophe and everything. And the top result is someone on the D&D Reddit asking what the hell a pig's whistle is in reference to Xanathar's. (laughs) No, No,
1: no, you need to go to images, good lord.
0: No, no I don't. So, a uh, a a pig's whistle is a thing of very little
1: significance or value. Oh, so sausage. Uh there's a picture of sausage here. That's close to what I was thinking. Uh
0: nope, no. Nope. Nope, no, no. No, you're not carrying around an old
1: an old pig dick. It's not happening. No. <laughs> uh I love I love the idea that the pig's whistle reminds you of your humble and beloved master on the list. Yes. <laughs> so that's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's I hope, right. I hope his name that. is Old Pig Richard. <laughs> Kevin Bacon. Anyways, stop.
0: (laughs) Uh, Anyways, so these are things that your character would uh, carry around with you uh, that are more important, more important to them, or bring more reverence to them um, than just their normal holy symbol that they would raise when they're channeling divinity or something. So, guys, um, as we've done with other sections uh, of this. I want to roll the dice and figure out what's a good uh, trinket or keepsake that uh, a cleric could have with them. That's different from the list that we have here of a finger bone, a book, a, a pig whistle, a braid of hair, a scroll, a runestone, stuff like that. Like what, or, what interesting one can you guys come
1: come up with? So Piggly Richards uh, severed um, member is not going to count. Oh, my
2: God. <laughs> okay. We're going to roll dice, at him.
1: <laughs> okay. I got a 16.
2: I got a six.
0: I I got a 10. All right, Dan, you're up first. I like the idea of um, uh, for every single faith, there needs to be a martyr, um, in my opinion. Um, Like there should be martyrs of a faith if it's a well-established faith. Um, And uh, one of the things your character could carry around with is like an arrowhead that was found in the side of uh, one of these martyrs, or the thing that killed one of these martyrs, um, something that kind of drives your character forward, and and um, look, they look at this thing as in this is the amount of faith that character had, or that that person of the path that martyr had. Um, so it is the it that is the type of faith I seek to emulate.
1: Okay. So, so so that's that's mine there. Um, I like that because then, in a moment of desperation, they could even use that arrowhead as a godly weapon.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. And and as a DM, if if it's in that, if it's in a good moment, and there's a little bit of rule of cool stuff here, I'd give that character a little bit of an added umph with that weapon.
1: Yeah, mm. depending on who the god is and what domain the cleric is and whatnot, absolutely.
0: So, uh, who was next here? I think it was Megan.
2: Oh, Adam. No, it oh, was me. I rolled a six, man.
1: Um, he's gonna carry around a little ziploc baggie full of crumbs. Nice, because because it used to be a piece of toast with Yeenagu's, uh visage that would had been burned into it. It's like oh people do in real life with the Mother Mary. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, but it's been in this guy's backpack for like three years as he wandered the earth so now it's just it's
2: that rotten it's just- at the bottom of your lunch bag your mom forgot to take out <laughs> he,
0: he he was super hungry that one day and had no
1: other options oh yeah i i absolutely love it i love it because it'd be like hey what are you doing Ah, eating the body of my lord yeah <laughs>
2: But then I'm Rough. also imagining they're going through, like, a famine. Like, food is hard to find. And everybody's like, hey, don't you have that bag of crumbs? And you'd be like, that's for me. That is a holy symbol. Can you, <laughs> like, how dare you? Like, if
0: you look off. under it, if you look at it under this light, it, you can see Yinogo's face.
2: Yeah, like, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs>
1: like, 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 late at night when he's by himself, he empties it out onto the onto a slab, and he just, like, Like, draws or he writes the name of his god in the crumbs and goes, yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And then he sweeps it back into the bag and keeps going. I
2: love it.
0: Love it. Okay, Megan, what you got for us?
2: All right. So it wouldn't be me if I didn't go dark with this, obviously. So my idea on a keepsake is I want to just do it as like the opposite of what your holy symbol is. So your holy symbol, obviously you have it. You are a cleric or if you're a paladin or if you're a divine character, you have your holy symbol all over the place, right? So in my mind, if you're thinking keepsake, I would almost go with the anti-keepsake. Like the reminder, A cyanide pill? Like the reminder of the good <laughs> meet my or god. the good or who <laughs> your god is. Um, so like if you went, did have a god of life, maybe it's a skull to remind you that death is imminent or death is something you want to ward off, right? Or if you are worshipping, I don't know, as a cleric, I don't know, like a god of light, you have one spell of like magical darkness that you carry, but you're not allowed to use it. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. Okay, is, yeah. It's a reminder well, well, like, of your anti-god.
1: It it, it so sounds like like it. Sorry, it sounds to me like you're talking about a Constantine level character who's running around, believes in God, and knows there's a heaven and whatnot, but has a book with a giant pentagram on the front of it because he's fighting devils.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, so it's like, like so if you were to come across this cleric, suddenly you see this weird, random, like, dark, ominous thing about them. It, it gives you that ability to build onto that character, right? And the best part is, I Fuck, just that's badass. I just watched Constantine like a week ago. So thanks, Adam. The, <laughs> hey, me too.
1: The show or the movie?
2: The movie. It was, they added it to Netflix. And plus, I'm a, a big fan of Keanu Reeves. So
0: yeah, no, I, I totally watched it too. I, I, I freaking love that movie. It's good. The
1: show is so much better.
0: Yes, I agree. The show is uh, magnificent, and it is a crime that they canceled it. Um, the, the that that that's badass and awesome. Um, the the way I, what what do you do for a trickery domain cleric? Like, is, does he carry around like some scales in the back to show balance, or or like a warrant for his own arrest? Like, just what a, what does he do? Yeah, just a reminder
2: uh, of like the consequences of his potential actions. Or oh,
1: no, <laughs> I, I, I think he carries around a booklet of the realm's laws. Like the kingdom's yep. laws, and then he sits oh, down. yeah, cool. <laughs> while he sits down, he flips through it and goes, "Oh well, they worded that just fucking poorly." <laughs>
2: or like, like did that one? Did that one? Did that's like yeah. a checklist, basically.
0: Yeah. Or They'll or, or it's a not. bar of soap. <laughs> okay, Adam. What? Uh, sorry, no, Megan. What? Crap. Whose turn is it next? We're done. We done? Or, yeah. Yeah, okay. we're on the secrets, Dan. Fuck. All right. So, uh, finally, as we're wrapping up here, uh, with this one little topic, uh, we got the secrets. Now, these are things that, uh, are, um, privileged information that your cleric knows that the general populace won't about your God or your order or whatever it is. This is, this is your, uh, midsummer commune who's all happy and and whatnot, but everyone knows at the end of the day, you're, I'm assuming they sacrifice people in that. It's an assumption. I haven't actually seen it, but it, it's it's that level of. Uh, you should secret. watch it.
1: You'll love it. It's totally <laughs> your kind of movie.
0: Is it actually? Or are you just telling me to watch it to suffer?
1: Honestly, if I could be honest here, we're going to take a time out for the one minute Adam's movie review. I absolutely fucking hated Midsummer. It started off so strong and then just turned into nonsensical, metaphorical bullshit, nonsense, garbage. Yeah, I thought so, that it was. That's what
2: those movies are for, though. <laughs>
1: is it kind of is it kind of like AI? Or
0: if you turn it off at a certain point, it's a fantastic movie and very no, satisfying. And no, 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 it
1: starts off the intro for it is so strong and so good, and then it gets to a point where I, you know, what's going to happen? Like, oh, that guy's totally going to die, and that guy pissed off the villagers, so he's not going to live long, and that girl is a slut, so she's going to like. It follows all the tropes, so it doesn't surprise you on any of it. And then every once in a while, it's just like. And really shocking gore for no reason whatsoever. And then it's back to like people playing pan flutes. And it's like yeah. hey 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 have sex have sex right here bunch of nudity with a, a bunch of naked elderly women standing around you just like orgasming watching you. Because it's weird. And it was almost weird for the sake of weird and you, I don't prescribe to that level of bullshit. Anybody that thinks okay. there's something deeper in there is reading too much into it. It was, a, it was a thematic love letter to depression. Um, and I get that it succeeded on that level, but as a narrative storyline about um, someone getting through their own personal problems, or even as an entertaining horror movie, I think it just fucking fails. So, fell there flat. You go. Yeah, okay.
2: Adam's feelings, everybody.
1: <laughs> cool. So, <laughs> so
0: um, ask me I know how I, I feel my, about I watch us. It. No, that, 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 we'll, we'll do Adam's video uh, movie reviews later. Right now, we're going to talk about secrets uh, because I have opinions about us as well. Anyways, um, so these things go from these secrets that your character can have go from either organizational to personal. Um, things like uh, on the list, an imp gives you counsel. You're a good cleric who's being counseled by an evil imp. Um, you try to ignore the creature, but sometimes the advice is helpful. Um, there is, uh, that you, um, you acknowledge the power of the gods, but you think that uh, most events are dictated by pure chaos. So, like, you are a faithful religious person, but you have some severe cynicism to you. Um, or you're plagued by nightmares that you believe are sent uh, by your goddess punishment for either an unknown or assumed transgression. These are these cool little uh, personal level um, or even organizational, like, you're... At the upper tiers of your faith, people are getting sacrificed. These are things that you could bring in as a secret. So, as we've done with the other two, let's grab the dice. Let's bring up one cool, interesting, unique secret that your cleric can have. Okay. I got a 13.
2: I got a 14.
0: I got a 4.
2: Good man. Proud of you. After you, Megan. Cool. So, I got inspiration from the actual listed secret of, like, dreams. Uh, Sorry, well, they they stated nightmares, but I kind of want to lean into more like the dream aspect of it because I feel like this would offer a good role playing, like story driver, especially if you're a DM who's having trouble um, controlling your team a little bit and giving them clues on where to go. Um, Is if you did have a cleric in your team that would have dreams about, you know, what their deity wants or like just random things, you could also play this into a comedy aspect as well, but they take the dreams 100% seriously. Like, they are 100% yep. messages from their god, basically saying, this is what's going to happen, or this is what I need you to do, or just reads into it weirdly. Um, and then they wake up, like, let's say your team ends a session saying, okay, well, it's finally a good place to rest. We'll sleep here for the night, and then when we come back next week, we'll get started from here, right? And then you can start off the game with your cleric has a dream, right? And it can, again, you can lean into the comedy if you wanted to. Like, you have a dream about a man standing in front of a tree with an apple. So, like, if you just wanted to be complete bullshit, you can, or you uh, can make fuck, it something serious. Oh, fuck, I have that serious. dream
1: three times a week.
2: I know, right? But, like, you, I don't want it to be more nightmarish, because, like, everybody plays dark campaigns, but I think it would be neat to be more on either the comedy side of it and seeing how your cleric would want to role play into it and how much they divulged the team, right? Because it could be an ongoing secret that this cleric is having these dreams throughout this entire campaign that's telling them where to go and what to do, but the whole team has no idea that that's what's going on, right? Like, where is this cleric getting all these ideas from, right? And then they start suspecting the cleric of being someone evil, especially if it goes in a different direction than they think it's supposed to go, right? So, and it could be even private. You could even just message, hey, at the beginning of the session, this is the dream that you had, right? So it almost drives that character, especially if you have a character or player who's having trouble role playing um, and having ideas every session. It would be a good. It's almost like a good cushion to be like, "Well, here's a little bit of a driving force for you for this session to get yourself started." Right. Just depending on your table, but I just thought it would be really neat if that was kind of like a a way to play the table from both sides.
0: Cool. I like like that. I I really like it. Um, And I, I, my idea is kind of the same um, where god damn be original no 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 Uh, just just hear me out here real quick uh i i don't like like i i wouldn't use the dreams idea i wouldn't use something else like that but what i would have is uh and I, i i've rolled up this character never had a chance to play him where uh you were raised in a straight up cult to one of these evil gods but because you were raised in it and it's all you ever known um, and maybe it was this communal living where everyone kind of got along. You assume that the ways of like there is dune are good and lawful. So your character is this bright character who never learned that human sacrifice was an evil thing, right? stuff stuff like that. Um, and as he grew up, as they grew up, as they uh, experienced the world, they learned, that wait, no, these previous uh the the way I grew up, all of my uh upbringing and and uh everything I know is actually deep down and evil. And now your character's trying to break through with that by worshiping the god who uh kind of counters what his former cult, what his parents or or uh uh grandparents or parent-like figures all worshipped they're they're they are doing the opposite of that for that reason. Um and if you need a list of really, really cool evil uh gods and, and, and evil uh like elder evils that that could be, uh look at the star spawns in um Mortar Mortar and and of Foes. Yeah. yeah, there is a list of boons of elder evils at the end of them that are like Borum of the Lake of Boiling Mud, Atropis of the World Born Dead, Hask the Voice of Harget, uh Tyranthraxus the Flamed One, and Therisdune the Chained God. Like these are super evil things that you could get boons for and I would almost give your character a lesser boon, make him a chosen um Make him a chosen warrior of that evil, elder evil god, and he is trying to fight the impulse uh, to just murder everybody or do some human sacrificing. And even, like, the most mundane cultural situation role-playing encounter, your character is like, wait, 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 are, are we not supposed to just cut out their tongues? Crap, okay, that's a thing I need to make a mental note of, we can't do in civilized society, like... I that's think the that kind
1: of by secret. the end of tier one, I'm gonna be super pissed off and annoyed at that as another player. Right. I, I well, I mean I think that's I, a great this... that's a great way for tier one if you're gonna do that. I think it's fantastic, but for tier one, um you say, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to do this. Tier two and three is okay, so I'm supposed to do this then instead?
2: Yeah, and so then, I feel like this then... is the character you would play in like a one shot. Like you just rolled it up with this weird, awful. I just kill things, or, oh, I'm sorry, we just murdered this thing, so I'm supposed to kill a bird as well to worship my god, so excuse me while I go catch a bird and kill it, right? Like I feel like that would be hilarious or enjoyable during a one-shot, but if you are playing in a campaign for a year and your character stopped to do things like that all the time, it would get really, really frustrating after a while. Yeah, the other people Uh, on the table
1: are are going to rail against it after a while, and I think that you just need to have... Dan, you're right, this is a super interesting character to do long-term, If you are subtle and you understand enough of the social cues and the role play opportunities, when to do it, when not to, and have your character fucking learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: no, exactly. Yeah. And, and
1: uh, it brings a dynamic
0: to the character that I think is really interesting. You don't have to run a table, like you be the center of attention on the table to run this character. Um, Mm -hmm. It's simple things like. Your party's trying to discern their next decision. And even though he's got no divining ability whatsoever, he's all right. Well, we so so we got to go out and grab a chicken and we need to gut it, we need to get its bones and its innards,
1: and we need to throw the bones. Um, thinking (laughs) that's just completely normal. I know we got to fight this dragon, but first, blood orgy, right.
2: the only way to get that extra 10, uh, 10 temporary hit points is one orgy. It's like two.
1: He's just in it for the fun.
0: And it's like an assumed thing so he's like alright so we're killing the dragon okay so he just starts taking off his armor so he just and the starts party starts getting like, undressed. What are you, do- what are you doing? The, we do the blood orgy now right?
1: Like that's- No no no, no. It's like the rest of the party turns around he's already naked and smeared with blood going who's first? <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh god (laughs) i
0: love it okay adam what you got
1: um i don't know why we're walking around the topic i think your secret needs to be that you are the second coming of the messiah Mm -hmm. yeah and your college of lore bard in the party also knows this secret and they are writing down your exploits and this they are writing the new bible for your religion the only
0: the only thing I would warn against is if you want to play this character, which I love. I, I like I think it's a great idea. You run the risk of being the center of the table. You you are the protagonist and everyone else is the supporting cast.
1: No, no, no. And no, that's why you run it as a secret. This doesn't pop up from level one to twenty. This doesn't pop up till tier four.
2: Yeah, I agree. Like I feel like it would be neat to run okay. it. Like it, it is your secret, right? Like in the Bard is probably sworn to secrecy as well. But you realize these yeah. people are like they have this really deep connected relationship where he's basically writing everything down. He's like, oh, I'm just running down the, the events of the adventure. I'm a bard. What did you expect me to do? No one would think anything of it until yeah. the very end. And suddenly, yes, they might be like a little bit of center of attention near the end of the game once you get to climax and the twist comes out. But there's twists yeah. that come out for all characters at all different levels of a campaign, especially if it's going to reach tier four. Right, so I feel like if that's going to be your character's one twist at the end that this is going to happen, but the DM has power of when it happens, it's still going to give that edge of surprise for that character as well. So I think this.
1: this, I also like the idea of. I mean, obviously, whatever your secret is, the DM needs to know about it. Right, work with your dungeon master. I like the idea of the DM hearing this and saying, "Okay, you know what? Great, you are the." The uh, messiah for uh, your war domain, right? Or your grave domain. Maybe grave domain um, comes back from the dead. They get one free resurrection, right? Just out of nowhere, no one has to cast a spell. They die, and then they will come back, right? Mm. Or the war uh, will explode doing, you know, 20d20 force damage, in a Whoa. 20 foot radius if they die and stuff so that you know, you know that you have this power inside of you. And when the right moment comes, you you will sacrifice yourself, become a martyr, cement yourself as a Messiah or a saint. And then your exploits will be spread around the world and, and everyone will, will know your true greatness. So you're yeah. looking for your opportunity to bow out. To make I, I, that that big um, sacrifice to inspire the people to follow your god, um, I I get it. I I,
0: I like that idea, um, especially established from very from the very beginning. But I think you could add a little twist to it. Uh, as as a level one character, you are one of many potential messiahs. So you know that it's an option, but you, you definitely don't want to let that out because then <clears throat> the opposing <throat> faction will want to take you and all of the other ones like you out. And then by tier three, tier four, it is made apparent that no, you are in fact the mess- messianic character for this faith.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, ra- Rather than it just being like all cards on the table, you are the second coming from level one. I would, I would want there to be a little bit of ambiguity there. Like you, as a player, know for tier one, the um, bard learns tier two that you could be this person and that you're you're one of the potentials. Tier three, you and the bard both learn that you're the um, messiah, but you need to kind of keep it to yourselves. Tier four, that has become fully realized, and now you are a uh, leading your entire church and you've had that moment probably at the beginning of tier four where you rally the church and you've made your your personage apparent to everybody.
1: You know, I don't even think that you need to. If you like I okay, I agree with everything that you said, but I'm gonna offer a counter perspective on this. I don't think your secret ever needs to come out. Not really. Not until the bard sits there and kneels down and says a prayer over your newly dead body. And was like, what are you doing? He's like, the church will need to know, right? And then the bar goes off, sends a message, and then the pilgrimage to this site where you gave up your life fighting a baylor or whatever, right, comes to pass. And your players yeah. watch, the secret becomes revealed through the aftermath of the world, rocked by your own death. Cool. I don't think the rest, yeah. the rest of the party has to ever know while your character is alive. And that yeah, would add to, the, to like the mystery.
2: Their... Yeah, sorry.
1: Uh, look i'm just saying that i think that if you have a secret you you don't necessarily need to reveal it to the others right this can be your thing that you hold on to there doesn't have to be one big crazy moment where the rest of the people the rest of the players on the table go oh my god really blah you be a changeling the entire time and if no one ever figures it out well you knew and the dm knew and you had fun playing
2: yeah you don't need to
1: have that that big moment Cool. All right. So uh, those are
0: the uh, temples, keepsakes, and secrets that are uh, available to Xanathars. Have fun with them, guys. Move on. Uh, we are going to take a quick commercial and then we're going to break down some of these domains.
1: Hey, everyone. It's Adam here. And we just finished our first giveaway in a long time. We're all super excited about it. And our winner at Gelf Wings or Gelf Wings, I'm not entirely certain. I'm going with Gelf Wings. Um, Is our winner this time round so congratulations and also thank you for joining everybody else who entered this was absolutely phenomenal Um, We really had a lot of fun doing this saw a lot of really cool Instagram stories Uh, We noticed that some people were just flooding the Facebook page Uh, We had well over a hundred entries and I was super excited about it and uh, I know the others are as well so we are sitting down and recording Uh, Wings special episode soon and we should have it released sometime within the next week or so and uh, we are also going to be mailing her these two awesome Mimic Minis that you guys can't see but I can and, and they're awesome. So anyway, we'll be having more contests and giveaways in the future. We're probably going to try to nail out a handful every year. And uh, and we're going to be uh, consistently doing these special episodes directly to one person's direct question. So start thinking about it, start prepping. And we're going to open it up to uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. You know, all the regular social media places. And, uh, and stay tuned for more info, more details. And again, congratulations to Gulf Wings.
0: Welcome back, guys. So now that we've talked about the uh, temples, keepsakes, and secrets that you have available to you at Character Creation, uh, let's talk about uh, domains, which for clerics, come in at first level. These are your subclass options. Um, In the previous clerics episode, we uh, covered life, light, and nature. Um, This week, we're covering um, the Tempest cleric. The trickery cleric and the knowledge cleric. So, uh, guys, grab your dice and uh, let's talk about the subclass uh, one by one. I got a seven.
2: (laughs) Eleven.
1: Oh, I got an eleven too. Roll off, Megan.
2: All right. Roll off. Oh. A sixteen.
1: I did did not. Oh, you didn't. So, so, (laughs) so, so, so
0: uh megan what you got for us
2: all right so i'm gonna cover the trickery domain um for clerics obviously um so i think the easiest thing to kind of say about trickery domain clerics is they're kind of like the rogue cleric if that makes sense mm-hmm. um so they obviously follow gods of trickery so if people like tamora um most commonly known like a loki like those like very well-known trickster gods um, they're kind of like your mischief makers or your instigators um, who like to stand a constant challenge. These are the ones that can get really annoying in role play, should you want them, to, or if they want to be in that play in that field. But I find that if you wanted to build an annoying cleric, this is the one that you can build. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not that, you know, clerics aren't annoying to begin with, but I feel like this one's a little extra. Uh, <laughs> So they're basically patrons of like your thieves, your scoundrels, your gamblers, all that kind of stuff, but also your liberators. Um, So this could be like you're a part of like a, you know, a movement or something, right? I'm thinking like any kind of like cause that they just cause that they stand for, like they're just like the head of that movement or a liberator, that kind of stuff. All right. So they are very prefer to like do pranks or deception or, um, you know, they're just kind of like your... Your playful character, so they do have a little bit more of a. In my mind, if you wanted to build one of these, you really had to pay attention to your stat tree, um, just based on how clerics are built originally versus what you want to do with these guys here. Um, but uh, yeah, they're pretty interesting. Um, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm going to say right now, I don't really like it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I- well, you're you're known for playing like your lawful good. Um, like, paragon of a character. Like, the underhanded trickery cleric doesn't... It, it is about as far... Like, Terry would love to play one of these things. I don't see you playing one.
2: Yeah, I, I, found, I found an interesting character idea on how I can make it work for me. So, and I'll go into that later. But um, to your point, like, these are not the kind of clerics that I feel... Are the natural piece but it definitely bleeds into 5th edition where you do have that freedom to play with what's good what's evil um, and you can play that as a paladin or a cleric now you don't have to be lawful good to be one of these characters anymore and I feel like that's very much what the trickery domain gives you that freedom to do. Um, They do give a lot of really cool spells um, which I'll go into but I feel like their spells are a lot to do with like crowd control um, or just really being a really good support character from a distance. That is really what I feel a trickster is. These are not the ones that are going to get up in battle and actually be front-facing in any way, shape, or form. These are the guys that really, really, really stand back, right? Yep. So, um, and a lot of their spells do bleed into their, you know, their their trickery, right? And their, like, charisma scores and that kind of stuff. So if you're thinking um, first level, right away, they get charm, person, and disguise self. So right away, it's almost like rogue, right? Like, you get the ability to charm with your charisma and you get your ability to disguise yourself to really kind of maybe hold that secret that you've decided that you wanted to have right um and then right at third level you get mirror image and pass without a trace um i like the pass without a trace i think that's really neat especially being like a cleric if you're walking around in some kind of medium armor um it does give you that ability to stay you know quiet i think it's really cool um mirror image i didn't really see you guys might be you guys can correct me if i'm wrong i don't really see the need for mirror image because they get their duplicity i
0: i i think they get it because they get the duplicity right like um because i mean mirror image what it does is it summons a bunch of uh illusions of yourself so it's it's just more of the same with duplicity like um it 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 makes it makes so much sense for them to have it that if they didn't have it, but they still had invoked Duplicity as a channel divinity, yeah. it would feel weird and out of place. So I'm glad they have it. But at the same time, I'm just like, are we just playing this like their Invoke Duplicity just gets a little bit better at third level? Is, is that the way that we flavor them having mirror image?
2: Yeah, it just becomes a part of them, right? Like they, they use it so often that it's now a part of their nature just to use it regularly, right? I feel like that's kind of yeah. the feel. Um, And then at 5th level, they get Blink and Dispel Magic, so kind of your classic spell operations. And then at 7th level, Dimension Door and Polymorph, which I think is really cool uh, to get Polymorph as a cleric. Yep. Um, I I just feel like Polymorph in general, for any kind of uh, divine character that you build, um, can be a really strong role-playing aspect to it, right?
0: I think Blink as well is one of those incredibly, like, Ace in the pocket level spells, where especially if you're playing a cleric and thus maybe you embrace the role of a bit as a healer with Blink, you're super powerful. Blink is one of those spells that can make or break an encounter.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, uh, one sec, Megan. Before we keep going, Adam, are you there? Oh yeah. Okay, you just were quiet for a long time, and
1: I'm like, uh, "Do uh, we lose him? <laughs> yeah.
2: Cool, deal." Um, at ninth level, you sorry, I,
1: I'm sorry, I was looking up mirror image, so that's that's where I was. So, oh, okay. Do you cool. have any comments
2: on mirror image?
1: Mirror image is a lesser ability compared to the well, the duplicate or whatever it is at the, the trickery yeah. the duplicity. So, it's it's a lesser version, but you don't have to expend your channel divinity to do it. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's why I think that it's there. So that if you want to kind of get the effect of, you'd really like to to use it, but you want to save your channel divinity for whatever reason. It's early in the in the adventure, or early in the day, or whatever. You're just like, ah, I'm not ready to do this. You can blow a mirror image easily. It's right there for you. It's simple. You can do it. Right. True. That's why I. That's why I think that that's there.
2: Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, at 7th level, they get Dimension Door and Polymorph. I already went over that one, but I just wanted to mention, With I love Dimension Door. I think it's a really good backdoor escape, really. Um, yep. I've used it in every campaign I've been in. Dimension Door is very handy to have. Um, and getting that at 7th level is pretty great. Like Just auto-getting it, um, instead of having to take up like a spell area and Like I think it's a really good one to have, especially if you're thinking of Trickster's Needing to disappear immediately, right? Just imagining this yeah. big, buff, awesome cleric all of a sudden opening a door and just disappearing, just fucking off, right? Like, I just think that's a really good imagery. Um, At ninth level, they get dominate person and modify memory. Um, huh, these are really woof. cool. I'm thinking of this as very much like uh, Men in Black style. Like, I was here, yeah. I did this thing, poof, now you have no idea what I did, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah, so I think that just looking at the spells and thinking about where they come from, I feel like this is more of a very strong role-play style domain. This is not the character you want to roll up if you want to be in battle. This is not the character you want to roll up if you like hitting things. This is not the character you want to roll up if you are really bad at conversing.
0: I I, I disagree with you on that one. You get spells like blink, mirror image, dispel magic, dimension door, like dominate person this guy i mean yeah might not be face to face like is not up in
1: melee combat
2: but that's what i no, mean but, you have to but be they, creative with it
1: but they still are because they're still a cleric they still have their shield and their armor and their warhammer. they still have guiding oh, wow. bolt and spiritual guardians and all of that they're still a basic cleric with this on top of it so I hear what you're saying, Megan. It's not they're not going to go toe to toe with a war domain cleric, but they're still going to be more useful in a fight than, let's say, a um, a thief in yeah. a straight up toe to toe combat, right? Or than say, you know, a, a bard running low on spell slots, right? Um, bard- I'm
0: I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to step in here, Adam. These one this specific cleric will not have a warhammer. They're not proficient. Uh, clerics are proficient only with simple weapons unless their domains give it to them. Yeah.
2: So right. these guys okay. will not have fine. A then a mace. Yeah.
1: Well, they'll they'll still they still get weapons. They still are able to go in there. Every cleric does, and they're still casting all of the regular cleric spells off the cleric spell list. They just have exactly, this stuff yeah. as well. So I think that this is the person. This is Gambit from X Men. He doesn't want to get in a fight, but he will. Don't push him.
2: Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I no, I'm that. with you. Yeah. Um, Well, they do get a couple of really good abilities as they level up. Um, So when it comes to being a trickster, uh, the first thing they get right out of the gate is the blessing of the trickster. So basically this one is starting at first level, so they get it right away. Uh, You can use your action to touch a willing creature other than yourself and give advantage on dexterity or stealth checks, which I think is really cool because this is like you're traveling with your pack of your paladin and your fighter and they're standing there or they've got their big fat armor on. Like This is a way to really silence the team. Yep. Um, So again, crowd control, right? These are your Mm -hmm. big, big support characters that are just keeping things easier to continue, right? So if the paladin's thinking, oh, I should step back and let you do your thing, he's like, no, no, like, let me help you. I'll get rid of your disadvantage. Let me give you a bit of a blessing, friendo, right? Yeah. So, um, And then for channel divinity, their first one is invoke duplicity. So we kind of talked about it a little bit, but I'll explain exactly what it is. So you basically use this ability to make an illusionary duplicate of yourself. Um, So it is an action. You create a perfect illusion of yourself that lasts for one minute or until you lose your concentration. So this is a big piece that I find difficult with clerics in general. Again, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the part that I find frustrating is a lot of their shit is concentration. Like a a lot of their shit. So you have to be very strategic about what you're choosing is up at what time Mm -hmm um so yeah this but
1: is... uh, but the reason for that is because their shit is so powerful exactly that you, having two at a time is an issue so you, you're essentially choosing which bazooka do you want to use you can only use one at a time i'm yeah. comfortable with that
2: but i've also been put in that situation where i choose the wrong one you know and then you have to <laughs> then you have to pedal backwards and be like oh this one concentration thing didn't work okay i'll drop it and i'll do this right and because battles changes so quickly um, and you try and plan seven steps ahead, and by the time it becomes your turn, you're just like, okay, well, what I just planned seven turns ahead isn't going to work. So let me just figure this out again, right? Like I found that I've played a few clerics in my lifetime, and I found that that in general with clerics was something I really struggled with was just maintaining what the heck I was concentrating on, right? So, but no, I really like this one because it does—it um, it basically occupies a space that you can see within 30 feet. And as a bonus action on your turn, you can kind of move it within 30 feet, uh, but it must remain within 120 feet of you. Um, and then the cool thing about this is that you it, it does give the illusion that it's doing your spells. So if, if you're casting something, it will also move and look like it's casting something, if that makes sense. That's an easy yeah, way to describe that's a, it. Yeah, that's a
1: lot yep. of fun. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so it's almost like you are going to create a lot of confusion for what you're fighting. So this on the DM side would be interesting to play with because now you kind of have to role play out during battle. This thing that you're fighting, Is there's now two of them, and you technically don't really know which one is. So how is you as a DM going to navigate figuring that out, right? Yeah. Um, but it does specifically say that you do have to use your own senses To operate it. So you still have to see what it's attacking. You still have to be able to use all that pieces. Would you guys agree? And this was an argument that I looked at when I was online, just reading stuff was would touch spells work with your duplicity character?
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I would. Why, why not? Like, uh, I mean, it, it makes sense to me. Like you, you are able to inflict wounds with your, with your, uh, do with your duplicate like it I don't see why you wouldn't be able to
2: yeah and I agree I think it's kind of cool that if you are specifically especially with clerics in this one because they're not as beefed up as your classic war cleric or one that's built to be in battle you are distancing yourself so how do you get into battle to heal that one character or that paladin that's going to be front facing um or that fighter that's right up in the battle right how do you get that heal in duplicity right like it's going to really really work for you in that way
0: yeah, I would I would almost uh if if I was DMing for a trickery cleric, um I would give advantage on a hide if they had their like during during battle, if they had their uh duplicate out, both of them split off from a point, and like they cast, I don't know, uh fire bolts or what like just a cantrip, but they cast it through their duplicate. Yeah. Your Monster is going to be able to see that and then is going to just assume that the other one is the duplicate, even though you're the real, like the the one that didn't cast the spell is the real one. So um, I would give you advantage on your hide because they're not going to be focusing on the one that didn't.
2: quote unquote,
0: uh, cast uh, the uh, spell.
1: Honestly, I got to disagree. I'm not going to let you cast spells through this thing because it's an illusion. It's not hard. It says you can. Where? For the duration, you could cast spells as though you were in the illusion space.
2: Yeah. So you basically cast so you, you yourself up through your duplicity. And your duplicity makes yeah. the actions like they're casting it. So it is written in there. But if you wanted to, as a DM, be like, that seems pretty bonkers, like, minimize it or maybe even give disadvantage because well, it is an illusion?
0: It's your it's your channel divinity. You get, what, three of these at level 20.
2: Yeah, that's or true. Or at
0: level 18, right? You're, you're using a dire resource to to have this thing out for a minute, I don't I don't see any problem with you using this thing to fool All right, your yeah. opponent.
1: Yeah. Okay. So so here's here's what it is. Here's where I draw the line. For the duration, you can cast spells as though you were in the illusion space. So I'm sitting here thinking if it's sixty feet in front of you because it can be within one hundred and twenty feet, and you cast a spell with a range of ninety feet that range is 90 feet from the illusion because it's as if you were in its space. You still yeah. have to be able to see the target. Right. Oh, yeah. So yeah. if it walks around a corner, you can't target what's around the corner unless you also go around the corner. Yeah, no, cause it does say but, you have to use
2: your own senses. So you do have to be able to see what it's attacking. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, it gives advantage on attack rolls against um, uh, the creature, given how distracting the illusion is to the target. However, this is still an illusion and while it is illusory magic that is casting more magic that's fine i don't think it can physically interact with the world i don't think it can pick up a hammer off a table i don't think it can make a melee attack i think that it it is going to shoot a bow and arrow and then that arrow is going to disappear when it crosses 120 feet from you from you the person no
0: i i i agree i i think it can it can um work around the environment but it cannot manipulate the environment i'm with exactly, you on that yeah. one
1: it's, that. unless it's by magical means if you mold earth then you can mold earth from that from the uh the yes, illusion exactly, right yeah. so if you need to touch something to, to cast light upon it then when the illusion touches it it glows right so it's just an extension of the magic but it's not allowing you to interact physically with the with the world that you're in are yeah. we all on the same page on that?
2: I think so. Yeah, we're I all saying the same, page the same, page same on it. thing. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Cool. But, cool,
2: uh, cool. And I wanted to throw a wrench in there just as a final with this. Thing. I really like the idea of doubling up and doing and adding um, spell sniper <laughs> and having dupl- oh, <laughs> geez. The, the duplicity along with spell sniper feet, so that you can do double the distance of your spells from your. So you can basically be standing like a million miles away and just fight. Is <laughs> is
1: a channel divinity? It's not a spell though.
2: No, but like you casting your spells through your... Yeah, so so if 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 this
0: thing's 120 feet away from you and you're casting, I don't know, a magic missile from a... I don't know, something. The Clerics don't get magic missile, fucking whatever. But 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 if you cast some sort of ray spell right from it, you get an additional uh, distance. No, I'm I'm on board That's hilarious.
2: Anyways, thought I'd put that in there. Um, okay, cool. So then at level six, their Channel Divinity, they get Cloak of Shadows. Basically, this is just their I can disappear when I want to. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like this is just a good advantage to disengage if you do end up accidentally toe-to-toe with something. You can poof yourself out of there if you felt like it without having to use a spell slot if you don't have one yeah. for Dimension Door. Yeah,
1: turning in, turning invisible is always useful.
2: Yeah.
0: I, I have a question before we move on from this one. Um, One of the most potent cleric spells, in my opinion, is uh, Spiritual Weapon, which is the one that attacks uh, and does not require concentration, um, but it attacks on your uh, bonus action.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: If you turn invisible and run away and your Spiritual Weapon attacks something on your bonus action, does that make you visible?
2: I would say no. No. Because it's, it's, I would it's, say it's, no con- as well, Basically, you've but... created a construct, right? It's not you attacking. You physically did not do damage to it. The, the construct did, right?
0: Yep. I I would agree. However, I could, I could see some tables running it the other way because you were still doing an attack. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to look it up. Okay. Well, what do we got next year?
2: Um, So the next up is at level 8 for Divine Strike. You gain the ability to infuse your weapon strikes with poison, which I think is really cool for a cleric. (laughs) Having poison capabilities, like that alone is pretty cool. Um, And it's 1d8 worth of poison damage to your target, um, and that does increase the 14th level to 2d8, so this does um, increase. But I just just like the idea of having a cleric that has poison capabilities. Like you've learned all your life how to heal things. Why not have an ability that you know is going to hurt someone? right
0: i would as a dm be willing to change the type of damage based on who which god you worship yeah right like i don't see a cleric of paylor getting the ability to poison things
1: (laughs) no you know what i'm okay with this because of the trickery thing Uh, i have no problem whatsoever with adding a little bit of poison and you don't have to call it poison you can call it something else, that you've imbued them with Decay a divine or something. Illness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. So, you can flavor it however you want, but I have no problem with it doing poison damage. Yeah, also, be- to answer okay. your question about spiritual weapon, Dan, um, you create a floating spectral weapon, blah blah blah. When you cast the spell, you can make a melee spell attack against a creature within five feet of the weapon. You are making the attack. Hmm. Uh, that's when you cast the spell. What does it say on every turn As a bonus that? action, you can move the weapon up to 20 feet and repeat the attack against a creature within five feet. Or, it's the same thing.
0: So, so you'd say that if, even if it's a bonus action, uh, and it's, uh, the spiritual weapon and you're invisible, you would still become visible.
1: That is correct because you are making a melee attack with the spiritual weapon. As a matter of fact, now that I'm reading through this, I see that, um, what I would honestly, the way that I would do it is the somatic component to the spiritual weapon is you miming, swinging the damn thing.
2: Hmm. That kind of makes sense. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: I mean, I, I know a lot of tables that wouldn't run it that way, but I get it. I very much
1: get it. Sorry, man. Rules is written. If your table doesn't run it that way, then your table sucks. Oh,
2: there's a lot of homebrew in this world. <laughs> Let's be serious. Yeah, tell us again fan. how
0: teleportation magic and resurrection magic work, Adam. Like <laughs> people people change things as they want. So nice. I mean it's it is I've never done that. Yeah. No, never. never. Ne- not at all. Not
2: once. Um, all right, so and then at level 17th, you just get your improved duplicity, which I think is freaking awesome. Um, so you basically get four duplicates of yourself instead of one. Um So, And then on your bonus action, you can move any number of them up to 30 feet to a maximum range of 120 feet. Now imagine having Spell Sniper with this. Like, (laughs) that would be really cool um, just to be able to have that ability. Um, I do love this for the confusion factor. Again, I think my biggest thing with Trickery, even though it's not my favorite domain so far out of the what 12, um, I think you can have a lot of fun with the role-playing aspect and the visuals, right? Which I do like. I do like in battle Being a little bit more creative with the visual of what it looks like or, you know, like not just running up and hitting it with a sword, but like making sure that you like, oh, I'm going to leap over the shoulder and like stab it through the heart or whatever, like being a little bit more creative with it. And if you like with these guys, you have to be right. And I think that that's one of the meetings that I like about the trickery domain is forcing your people to role play and talk about what it looks like when your character is doing what it's doing. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Cool.
2: Cool. So that's Trickery Domain.
1: All right, Adam, you're next. I am next. So uh, I got Knowledge Domain. And uh, I absolutely love Knowledge Domain because I thought it was the weakest thing ever until I started to dig into it. <laughs> um, first of all, there are a couple of different kinds of knowledge gods. Um, there are the ones that hoard knowledge and, and um, need to know book knowledge and read from scriptures. And then there are the ones that are the practical smithing kind of um, kind of gods and, and knowledge domain clerics as well, that understand the idea of crafting and invention. I think a knowledge domain cleric is a great gnome tinkerer. Okay. You do get um, two spells at first, third, fifth, seventh, and ninth that are knowledge domain spells. First level, it's command and identify. That makes a hell of a lot of sense. At... Third level, but I mean, do you even have a spell slot to cast Identify? What level is Identify? First level. You is get it, it first level? I always think it's higher yeah. than that. Maybe I just want it to be higher than that. Uh, third level is Augury and Suggestion. So, I mean, that makes a certain amount of sense. You're manipulating the truth, I think, which we're going to see a lot of um, with this. In At fifth level, it's Non-Detection and Speak with Dead. Non-Detection is a little bit strange for me, but I guess you're controlling other people's knowledge. Sure. Yeah. Um, seventh level is arcane eye and confusion. Um, and ninth is legend lore and scrying. Honestly, identify augury and scrying re- and even speak the dead or speak with dead really fit this. Everything else feels like a bit of a stretch, but I understand that you are about manipulating the truth and understanding the truth and controlling the truth. I don't know. Um, I'm going to look up the rules on Arcane Eye, because I think that fits very well as well. Yep, okay. Uh, At first level, you get blessings of knowledge, which means you get two languages of your choice, which is fun in some campaigns and useless in others. And on top of the regular um, cleric skills that they can be proficient in, you get the ability to be proficient in Arcana, history, Nature or religion. Which are, you know, the knowledges. Don't you really don't you have
2: access to most of those to begin with as a cleric? Like the You have
1: access well, you have access to history and religion already, but if you chose, you know, persuasion and insight, then you have access to pick up history and religion again later, I guess is the point. Yeah. Um your channel divinity is really easy and really straightforward. Starting at second level, you can use your channel divinity to tap into a well of knowledge. And as an action, you choose one skill or tool, and for 10 minutes, you're proficient with it. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. I really like that. It's
2: different. I like it.
0: I, I, I could see a knowledge cleric being the rogue of the party.
1: Uh, I like it. I like the idea of, wait a minute, I read about this. And then you're just good at it. But what's interesting here is that it only takes an action for you to stop and recall this, but it is not a, um, it's not a concentration. You just, you just have it.
2: This is your Hermione Granger, guys. This is... Yes, 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 very much so, yeah.
1: (laughs) Dan, did you find Arcane Eye?
0: I did. So basically what it does is it lets you summon an uh, invisible eye that you could see through. Um, oh this is yeah it's a security around camera for one. an hour yeah it's a security camera so uh but it can it's invisible and it can move and there's no uh there's no limit to the amount of distance it can travel other than time um like the duration of the spell but you can move this thing around and get visual clues so if you're just trying to spy for a way into something or out of something throwing an arcane eye on and just following it around to find your secret path before you go forward gaining knowledge that way works how, how long does it last it
1: lasts for an hour i believe i've already closed it mm. let me do So you that. you can look into anything that's going on within the palace or anything within the marketplace but you're not going to be yeah. able to to look at things three kingdoms away yeah, well, That's a solid barrier
0: blocks the a solid barrier blocks the eye's movement. Uh, but the eye can pass through an opening as small as one inch in diameter. So it's like a physical eye that is invisible that is floating around. It's gross, um, and, it and I love it. An hour.
1: That's gross, and I love it.
0: Yeah, and you summon it within thirty feet of you, and then uh, it can move out and has normal vision and dark vision out to thirty feet.
1: But how far can it move it around?
0: Um, you can move it 30 feet in any direction as an action. So for
1: an hour, you can move this thing 30 feet every six seconds. So hold on. That is, uh, 300 feet a minute times 60. So, you know, you've got some range on this thing.
0: Yeah, you've got some range on this thing. You can, you could do some serious scouting on it. And as a third level spell...
1: Yeah, man. I mean, so far you're replacing your your scout rogue for certain, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you're definitely infringing upon what a uh, what a ranger can do, and the and the skill proficiency kind of makes rogues a little redundant. I'm sorry. This is a fourth level divination spell. Yep. Yeah, you get it at seven. That level. you get
0: at that you get at Arcanine I seventh level. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Which I was like, winning. wait a minute, that's way more powerful than I thought it was. Yeah,
1: no. um, at 6th level, you can use your channel divinity to read thoughts. You can access a creature's mind to command it. It means that as an action, you choose one creature that you can see within 60 feet. That creature must make a wisdom save. And if it uh, succeeds, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. However, if the creature fails its save, you can read its surface thoughts. So the things foremost in its mind, um, current emotions, and what it's actively thinking. As long as it's within 60 feet of you. This effect lasts for a minute. During that time, you can use your action to end this effect and cast the Suggestion spell on the creature without expending a spell slot. What? (laughs) The target automatically fails its saving throw against the (laughs) spell. So you get Suggestion at third level. You get this ability at six. So as you are entering tier two, you are able to just cast suggestion without expending a spell slot. And it well, will I mean, on work. a
0: creature that fails a will save, right? Uh, a, but like, a if you are trying,
1: welcome to fifth sorry, yeah, a wisdom save. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, uh, but like, if if I I love this for like a uh, if you're doing a um a ball or a uh like some sort of nobles party um oh, man, i like this for guards you don't you you don't need to line yes for guards as well but for like you don't need line of sight to maintain this as long as you are within 60 feet of them they could be in another room behind a lead door it doesn't matter this works yeah right so so uh this is super powerful, especially for sixth level. the 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 uses of this are limited
1: by the ingenuity of the player. Uh, yeah, and also the limitation of the suggestion spell. Suggestion spell is not mind control. It is. It does have limitations to it. But you're right. This is going to get you past most social encounters, this is gonna get you I mean, this throws the entire economy out the fucking wall or out the window because um because of the damn uh ability to just get free shit all of the time from every merchant.
0: Yeah. And at sixth level, how many how many divinities do you get? You are at at sixth level you get your second divinity. So you could do this twice in a day. Didn't yep. it say
2: that you can't do it again until a long rest?
0: If you uh, fail
2: if
0: you fail, okay. That, to that target.
1: Okay. No. Right? If the creature succeeds on the saving throw, you can't use this feature Oh, on it again. On it again. Until you on finish the long yeah. rest. All right. Um, at eighth level, you get potent spellcasting, which means you just add your wisdom modifier to damage dealt with uh, any cantrip, which is good. It's not game breaking. It seems a little weak at level eight, but Okay. Um, And then at 17th, so way later, you get visions of the past. Which means that you can call up visions of the past that relate to an object that you hold or your immediate surroundings. If you spend at least a minute, you will receive glimpses or dreamlike and shadowy of recent events. You can meditate in this way for a number of minutes equal to your wisdom score. And you have to maintain concentration during that time. However, once you use it, you can't use it again until you finish a short or long rest. You can do it two ways. You can either read an object, at which point you kind of get the idea of um, the last owner of the object uh, within a number of days equal to your uh, wisdom score. Um, You'll notice that it's not wisdom modifier. That's wisdom score. So, yeah, it's rare that you see that. Uh, if you can uh, and you can spend one additional minute for each uh, owner of this Mm -hmm. thing to learn the same information about that creature. So, so you, you're getting ideas about what has happened recently. You're almost projecting like, like psychics do to when they pick up an object to go, Oh, this was owned by an elderly woman that blah, 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 blah. You can get those feelings off of it. The other one is an area reading. It's essentially the same damn thing, except it's about significant events. Um, usually involving powerful emotions like battles and betrayals and marriages and murders, births and funerals, and having to listen to Dan monologue. However, um, they might also include more mundane events um, that end up being... having Dan monologue. (laughs) Yes. uh, that, uh, That might pertain to your specific situation that you're in right now. So you can walk into an area and you're essentially getting a reading. If you guys... Have you guys seen Poltergeist, right? And the medium walks in and, and the, and starts making proclamations about the evil spirits in the house and whatnot. That's what this is to me, right? This is you being able to say, you know what, this place has been desecrated or this place has been, um, there was a great argument that happened here between an elderly man and his son or something like that, right? This we're standing in the place where the princess was born. Right. Yeah, this, I feel like this is
2: your more detailed history check, right? Like in a history check, you, yeah. you know, like the story of it. But like, this is like, I've seen it. This is what happened. These are the details. This was the conversation that occurred, right? Like, what's, this. What's yeah, interesting this to is me is that
1: like, I really feel like this is divination magic that a diviner should have access to. It's very yes, strange that it's in a knowledge yeah. domain, but I freaking love it. And it makes this character super flavorful. None of these things really break the game, in my opinion. Um, I like the knowledge domain. I'm not sure that it would ever be my first choice to play. Um, But if I was going to do more of a gritty, down-to-earth campaign, like low magic or whatnot, I might go knowledge domain because it has almost a Call of Cthulhu feel to to the idea. Yeah, I could see that. Of of understanding what's happened in this place before, and and um, um, knowing additional languages, and I don't know. I I feel like also if you as a DM have a knowledge cleric in your party, that is just an opening to expel and 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 go off about all of your your plot, and you can drop your your narration of what has happened previously. This is a gift yeah, to DMs. You don't need to inject a exposition NPC because you have
0: a PC that could be that for you. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I see this kind of playing out as well on the table as like Bran visiting the Tower of Joy in Game of Thrones, right? Like yeah. you are Yeah, you are like bodily observing history happening around
2: you. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And they don't conceive of you, they don't see you, but um yeah, that like I, I love that. It's super badass, it's super cool. Mm-hmm. All right, Dan, what's Are yours? You... All right, so I have the Tempest domain. Um, I really like the Tempest domain. It is it is definitely one of the clerics that is designed to be a frontline fighter with its uh, heavy armor and martial weapon uh, proficiencies. It is one of only two cleric domains that gets martial weapons and one of three that gets heavy armor. It is... Uh, it... it i just love it. it it's kind of the iconic like thunder cleric to me these are the guys who worship like cord and Telos and thor and zeus right that this is the level of um uh god that you're dealing with tend to be the more boisterous uh thunder lords of the deific pantheons um they're the loud the brash the the run into combat look at my challenges kind of deal uh, of characters and and their clerics should not be far from it so we'll st- we'll start from their domains you get fog cloud and thunder wave at first level i mean that tracks um you're about storms and stuff um so fog cloud and thunder wave makes sense gust of wind and shatter also makes sense um because of the whole ability to do damage to constructs as well and destroy like inanimate objects around you just with the pure
1: um, force of thunder i'm really feeling like this is about weather in the ocean right
0: yeah yeah i mean a tempest that that, that that really makes sense um i wouldn't say necessarily the ocean but uh weather definitely these these are the guys who are looking at the skies for omens as well right I see, I that's, I see that's they, who like, you live
2: on a boat or they live on the coast that's what I feel these where they would live. They live in a lighthouse. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. 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 Lighthouse keeper.
1: <laughs> I really, I really feel like that tracks. These guys, yeah, they can hear. They're always within earshot of the ocean when they're at home, right? Like that's yeah. And know what? No, I'll, I'll, I'll
0: even go one step further with that because their spells that they get, um, they're they're about thunder and lightning, but they don't get lightning bolt. No, you get call they, lightning, right? You get call lightning. So you get the druid lightning spells, not the arcane lightning spells. Well, spell. I mean, you are divine, that makes sense. Right, and I mean it makes it makes sense in that sense, but like what are the, the fact spells? that uh they get call lightning and sleek storm um at fifth level, they get control water and ice storm at seventh level, and at ninth level they get destructive wave and insect plague. That last one. Oh, still waters. I love I'm that imagining, the, like, the reign of locusts <laughs> yeah it's 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 pretty badass so um I mean a lot of those spells make sense um, insect plague is probably the furthest out of there and you can you can legitimize it quite easily so it, it's 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 all fairly well put together um, at first level, you do like I mentioned get your martial weapons and heavy armor. This is because you are supposed to be up front uh, swinging a hammer, just with the fighters and paladins and barbarians of the group. I that is where your place a Um, I'm going to move through that. Uh, at first level, you get Wrath of the Storm, which is uh, which gives you the ability to rebuke attackers. So when a creature within five feet of you. Um, that you see hits you with an attack. You can use your reaction to make them make a dexterity save or take 2d8 lightning or thunder damage, your choice. Um, and that's if they fail to save, they take half as much on a successful one. And they get this a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier per long rest. Um, so... This is a weaker version of Hellish Rebuke that is flavored for your Thunder and Lightning Cleric that you could do more times than Hellish Rebuke. This is
1: stupid powerful. It's pretty incredible. like uh, Especially tier one. I wish that this stacked. I wish that it was 2d4 at tier one, 2d6 at tier two. Now, nah, I'd even say 2d6 at tier one, 2d8 at tier two, 2d10. At tier three, keep it relevant and keep it balanced.
2: Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um,
1: this 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 will get more powerful later,
0: but not in the ways you're thinking. We're going to keep going. Um, uh, you get your one channel divinity um, feature, which is your destructive wrath um, at second level, um, where you use your channel divinity to wield the power of the storm with unchecked ferocity when you roll uh, lightning or thunder damage. Um, you can use your channel divinity to roll max damage. That's... so. If you're using this ability, you get full damage. You get yeah. you get sixteen points of damage.
1: That's good, but remember, you've only gotten a, an automatic two spells for this as well: thunder wave and call lightning. There's nothing else that's doing thunder or the shattered well, thunder. You're de- your destructive wave we we'll get it. A uh, shatter. Isn't I'm pretty, pretty sure it does wave. force damage. Yeah, I thought destructive wave was forced too. looking it up.
0: Uh, okay. You look that up. I will keep reading because the next one is pretty cool. Thunderbolt strike at sixth level. You, uh, when you deal lightning damage to a larger, smaller creature, you also push it 10 feet away from you. No safe. If you do damage to it and you hit it with the lightning or thunder spell, you can move it 10 feet away from you, which of course will draw a reaction. Um, And it's 10 feet. A lot of these abilities only do five. So this is actually quite a big push. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are on a boat and you use this, you are throwing people off the boat with relative ease with no save. Um, At eighth level, you get Divine Strike, which is very similar to the one we saw with the Trickery Domain. Destructive is uh, Thunder Damage. And Uh, Radiant
1: or Necrotic.
0: Nice. (laughs) Cool. Um, And Shatter, is that Force or Thunder? I'll uh, look it up. I, I think shatters thunder damage, but I, 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 I can also see it being forced. Anyways, uh, so at 8th level, you get your divine strike where you get to add uh, once on each of your turns when you hit a creature, you deal an additional 1d8 thunder damage. Um, when you hit 14th level, that damage increases to 2d8 once a turn. And then finally, at 17th level, you gain a flying speed. Equal to your walking speed whenever you're not underground or indoors. Full stop. You are the storm born. You become you Storm flying around. from X-Men. Yeah. You become Storm from X-Men,
1: yeah. Uh, I find it funny that it's... Incidentally, uh, Shatter is um, thunder. It's thunder damage. Cool. So, all of this tracks. There um, you
0: go. So, so for your stormborn, you get this flying. Um, I love how it says when you're not underground or indoors. So, friends, if you're planning on playing a long-term underdark campaign, try a different domain, I think. Um, but I mean, there might be some time sometimes. I, I don't know.
1: There can be oceans in the underdark. I would say that you know if if the ceiling if the ceiling is less than or is more than forty feet you're okay. If it's 40 feet or less, if I'm going to play in an underdark campaign, my guy wants to be a Tempest um, cleric, I'm going to give this to him, right? Mm. So I would, I would pick an arbitrary number that makes a certain amount of sense to be considered a tight space. And then when you walk into a cavern that is the size of a continent, you're okay. Okay, cool. Also, I love the Um, idea of them being able to fly up vertical shafts
0: yeah no and and like there there is like electricity pouring from them it is it is thor landing on the lightning bridge after he's got that full infusing of his power during uh thor ragnarok right like just lightning and everything pouring off of him as he floats to where you have to stop talking
1: brad is listening to the episode right now and playing with his nipples
0: oh i'm 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 doing this for brad i'm bringing all (laughs) this up just just so brad is happy for once um so uh, that are, that is our uh, Trickery Domain Cleric. That's our Tempest Domain Cleric. That's our Knowledge Domain Cleric. Do we have anything else we want to mention before we move into a shout-out, guys?
1: Um, I like the Tempest because it feels the most thematically sound. This one was thought out well. The Trickery yes, one so. and the Knowledge one, they've got a couple things that you go, Well, I guess. Is this the flavor they're going for with it? And it doesn't make the same amount of sense. Um, It's not as automatically... um, like It's a foregone conclusion that they would get these spells or this ability or whatever it is. I like every one of them, but I think Tempest is the best, well-rounded, and most focused.
2: Yeah, I feel like you can't really build a Tempest um, cleric without that theme. You know what I mean? Where you could build a knowledge one, you could build a trickery one with... A completely different thought process or idea and and be something totally off the cuff but you can't yep. really do a whole heck of a lot with Tempest so I feel like if you want to start playing a cleric it's your first time playing and you want a carry that's almost fleshed out a Tempest would be a good one to go for
0: yeah yeah I'm with you cool so uh, let's move to a uh, shout out and then we'll come back with some interesting builds this week's shout out is from Matt and it's for the group he helms out in Welland The campaign they're running there is going great, and Matt just wanted to let his players and all you fine listeners out there know that he's having a blast playing at that table with a bunch of great folks. Keep it up, guys. If you want to shout out your group, Instagram or project, whatever it is, let us know why you're so freaking awesome and we'll let the world know. Just send us an email at info at itsamimic.com. All right, guys. Uh... We have gone through our classes. We've gone through these added features that you could choose in Xanathar's. And now we've come to the part of the episode episode where we uh, throw out some unique uh, character builds. Um, so let's grab our dice. Let's roll a d20. See who goes first here.
1: I got a 16.
2: 12. 17.
1: Oh. <laughs> God damn it, Adam. Um. So I'm sitting here looking at this knowledge domain cleric and I've been racking my brain for a unique, fun, interesting character build for this. I've got all sorts of NPCs and guides and exorcists and things that can come in and be really interesting. But for a player character, I mean, everything I'm coming up with is is a little one note. Um, I would try to grab something where there's... um, Grab someone from a race with a missing god. Right? Uh, maybe this is when I um, I choose to play a Hobgoblin. And okay. I know that they don't have the stats to really back up what a Cleric is, but maybe they're looking for their fallen gods. And, and they're trying to piece together the history of how the Goblinoid um, Pantheon got overthrown. Or maybe I'm going to pick a... Um, uh kobold, okay who is trying to to find out what happened to Kurtlemac you know the cobalt god and and how they how garl glittergold fooled him in the first place right cool so, okay so I'm looking for one of these um even like in an, an asmr that comes down and it's is like hey I'm I'm looking to walk the path that's been placed in front of uh, an ancient warrior. They walk this path, and I want to. I want to follow them. And they're a historian, walking the same sacred path as well. Like I'm trying to find something that's based around the race themselves. And I'm not. These are really cool NPCs. I'm not sure I'd want to play this. Okay. Did you follow me on this? Like I'm not really. Su- yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm not really sold on this as a as a playable um, subclass, but I freaking love it. I, I'm sitting here going, I really want to do this in this kind of setting, um, or in this kind of this a knowledge domain um, cleric would be really useful and fun in Curse of Strahd, as you're piecing together the lore of Barovia.
0: I mean, same with Tomb of Anni- Annihilation, where there are secrets to uncover. Like it's it's that's a
1: good it's a good place for a knowledge cleric
0: in both of those campaigns,
1: right? Or look at the Waterdeep ones, right? Where having the ability to cast suggestion with you know that just works, right? When you're in a big city, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do. But it seems to be more uh, my inspiration anyway. Seems to be more based around the location and the storyline and the theme. That you're already in and less on the race class um, combination that, that we're used to, right? So I feel like anyone could be a knowledge domain cleric. Really yeah. anybody could. It's
2: almost like it's it's that domain and that class of a cleric that you would almost eventually want to cross class. Almost. But the issue with cross classing with a knowledge domain cleric is like in mid-level you don't get a lot until again 17th. There's a huge gap. Well, I
1: think think if you're going to go into it, you just get to six levels, so you get that big-ass read thoughts thing, right? And you've you've got a couple of channel divinities so that you can use it. And then, I mean, are you willing to give up a third of your levels to get that? Maybe if you're an investigator, rogue, right? I mean, that's going to go really well with the skill proficiencies as, as well. Like, There's a lot of interesting things to do with this, but I feel like it's really going to depend on the scenario that you're in and less about, you know, oh, I built a lizard folk fighter that can do, right? Like, it, it's less about that. This is very um, circumstantial. This is RP. It's very roleplay heavy. And so yeah. you, I kind of want to know what that world is before I know which character I'm going to put in it, right? No. So I really, really like this. I just, I almost have to come at it from a different angle. You know what I mean? Hmm. So, unfortunately, yep, I, I don't have an answer besides keep this one in the back of your mind for roleplay heavy or mysteries or even the gothic horror. You're a cleric. You're still a cleric. You can still turn undead. Yeah. Right? Like, you, you are still going to be useful in your Curse of Strahd or your fighting necromancers and all that nonsense. Right? So, I, I don't know. I, I like this. It's not the obvious go to put make a ranger an Aarakocra because they can fly and shoot downwards. That's a no-brainer to me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The halfling rogue, the goliath barbarian, these are no-brainers. There's not a real no-brainer for knowledge domain. Uh, cleric, maybe a, a Vetelkin from... Um,
0: yeah, I could see a Vettelkin or a... From uh, um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see a Vettelkin or a uh, Deva would probably fit in here as well a little bit. Sorry, what was, um, what was the other one?
1: A Deva. Yeah, but again, that's not a playable race, right? Like, that's th- th- This is this is my problem. Is is the it's a really interesting NPC idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then I'm I, and I'm not gonna I don't draw up entire character sheets for NPCs. So for that, NPCs, no. Yeah, that yeah. falls by the wayside there. Yeah. So I don't know, like interesting i want to see this in big cities i want to see it in gothic uh i want to see it in um, even plane or travel being able to get onto a plane and channel divinity and be like wait a minute this is where we need to open up the teleportation circle to get to whatever right like there's there's a lot of cool stuff here but you gotta you gotta get that far yeah so yeah true
0: Okay, so for uh me, what I've got is I I'm kinda with you, Adam, but I in, in a slightly different way where I um I couldn't make a decision on which character arc I kind of wanted to build for uh Tempest Cleric. Um, because I have seen a Tempest Cleric play very well at the table, and I will shout out to Brad, who's been on the podcast, um, and his cleric that he has ran. Um where he played a really a divine soul style cleric, where his cleric was chosen for his abilities as a crafter and as a, um, a, a as a fighter, but he never really knew where his powers came from. And uh, part of the mystery we wanted to do was slowly unveiling to him who this old dwarven god of thunder that he uh, was blessed by was. So we, me and him worked side by side as and player quite a lot to build into the fact that uh, his ability just kind of came out of him. Um, he, he approached every fight like he would a fighter. Um, he would charge in and he, he would attack. And then if he wanted to do something weird, um, like cast a spell or um, he chose a lot of self-buffing spells as well just to kind of stay uh, thematic with it. Um, he he would say, OK, I want to cast this spell um, on myself before I do the attack. But of course, we are all running under the assumption that his character doesn't even really know that he's divinely blessed at this point. So he so he was casting these spells that would like divine favor and stuff that would add to his uh, a hardiness and constitution. And and he would feel it, but it wouldn't really resonate with him until I started leaving hints of, old dwarven uh worshippers of this god and then i started laying boons and i started to give him knowledge of this old cult of a dwarven lightning god god and then um because of life circumstances that campaign kind of had to die and he has been chomping at the bit to play that guy again for a long time so i'm, I'm hoping to kind of give him the opportunity to dive back into uh, well, he never the character got... he named sorry he, he never
1: the... got out of uh really tier one did he
0: no we got uh no we were just into tier uh tier two like we were level five i think i was level five
1: but i was a level ahead of everybody else
0: um okay well yeah then then we were they were we were either at the end of tier one or beginning of tier five but last time we saw his character so um it, it it's a really interesting way and i think with a div- with a tempest cleric it's one of the easiest ones you could do that divine soul um blessed by the god chosen by the god through no work of your own type of cleric uh divine uh the the tempest domain really really bleeds well into that um the other option i had just real quick was if you wanted to do like that greek mythology level demigod experience going tempest cleric really works if you're doing like the trials of hercules or or like that level of stuff um playing a character who maybe was raised mortal but might actually be the messianic character or the demigod type character who is building his strength through the spells and everything that he gets as he levels up um to be the demigod of lore, to be that hero of legend. This is the guy taking the folk hero background, right? Everyone knows who this uh, hammer-swinging lightning lord is um, who seems blessed by a god. Or or at least at the very uh, very least is himself powered or the offspring of some sort of lightning god. And if you look into the details of the god Kord, who is a popular d d god it works really well into this with him throwing the trials and the challenges and constantly trying to uh, challenge themselves physically to succeed in either in battle or other competitions. So those are, those are the Tempest guys. And like any
1: race works with this. Uh, Maybe not Aarakocra, but any race works. with. Well, why not? The thunder and lightning, right? They're up in the, they can be from air. I have no problem with the mountainous races, like a Goliath. You know, channeling this this storm or a Triton. Right? I, well okay, okay, okay. No, I'm with I'm with you.
0: Maybe I, not a grung, because what, what happens to a frog that's struck by lightning? Same thing as everything else? No. It
2: explodes. No.
0: <laughs> really? Adam Adam is giving me dead silence and I could see the stare even though we're recording He's dying separately. Inside. I oh, know no, exactly what direction inside.
1: you live in, and I am staring in the direction of your house right now. There you go.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, Megan, what, uh, you got this. All right,
2: us. so buckle up, guys. Bear with me here. So hold on,
1: hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait. Okay, buckled.
2: Good, excellent. All right, so let's talk about cults. Um, so <laughs> this is my idea here, because we've been talking about clerics for quite some time about how they should have a connection to their deity and that that's where their powers come from. But if you think about keepsakes and objects, what's okay. saying that the power just doesn't come from that object? So this is the backstory I've created for this weird character. So think of like a Robin Hood trickster who did at one point worship some kind of a trickster god, but was playing for the good side robbing from the rich giving to the poor the whole nine yards he was given an object to imbue his power let's just say for the sake of ease a crystal of some kind he begins to be in this band of other characters that are starting to worship him as a false god So
1: merry men
2: the merry men but they're worshiping this guy as opposed to the actual god because he has the powers with this crystal so, and then what happens is, is there's a revolt and these this group of married men are like, we don't want to worship you anymore. We want to go on our own way. We're tired of fighting and following your cause because it makes no sense. They have to go back
1: to their wives because they're married men. Exactly. Yeah. There
2: you go. <laughs> so they break this crystal. They kill this guy. They break the crystal into a million pieces and each of them take a piece of said crystal along with them. So now they have these powers of this god that they don't even know exists. And then this crystal gets passed down to their brethren, to their kids, to their kin, and goes down, 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 down the chain. And then you build an NPC that just inherits these abilities from this object, and you have no idea who it is connected to. Um, And so now you have all these abilities that are very trickster-based, so you are raised to be like a rogue-style character living in this world, but you have no idea where your powers come from or who your god is, which we've played on that story before. (laughs) But you were literally just have this object, and if you lose this object that's the end of it and then you as the dm can kind of choose who the god is and at what point they enter their lives right kind of similar to what you did with brad right but i just like the idea that they are literally worshiping an object not actually a god but it's still working okay cool that's what i thought of but i like how it started out with a cult i've been watching tiger king which is a very hot button topic right now (laughs) And all I could think of is how do I make a cult work, but still make this a playable character in the future? So
0: that's my idea. I I I, I, I don't love Tiger King, but I, I love this character idea. Um it, it brings into question like what what defines a deity in, in Dungeons and Dragons? Like could a could enough people worship an object that it gains divinity itself and thus sentience? Mm-hmm. And then uh, can- if they're Kuatoa, then yes. Yeah. Yeah, right? Right. Or so, a trickster god does
2: have the object and is thinking, is like tricking them, shall we say, into thinking that they're doing good things like, and that they're worshipping a different god. Right? Like being that trickster of like, oh, you are worshipping Tiamat or whatever. It's a really bad example because that's an evil god. But still, uh, like you're worshipping this person but you're not that person. <laughs> and then they find... They're out later that they're worshiping someone completely different.
0: There is nothing saying that the trickster god has to be not evil. Like, I, I think a trickster god could be very evil.
2: Yeah, agree.
0: So, like, I, I'm with you on mm-hmm. that one. Um, all right, all right, folks. Is there a uh, anything else we want to add on to our second run through of clerics? I mean, we still have what, three more episodes? kind of lined up for clerics adam
1: no there's there's two more after this sorry i'm just thinking about this this crystal idea and and the power and whatnot and i'm thinking about i mean how many more times are we going to bring up x-men god damn yeah but i'm thinking about (laughs) juggernaut who's not actually a mutant in the comic books he uh ended up entering a cave that contained the temple of a god named sidorak Mm -hmm. and he saw a ruby (laughs) sitting there at that uh, and he said that it looked like it was living. And he picked it up, even though he was warned not to, and he read out loud an inscription, and he was then transformed into this giant, hulking, powerful creature with the powers of Sidorak. And so he actually... Um, uh, and the temple was destroyed afterwards, uh, but he is a, a avatar of Sidorak. He's considered the second avatar. Yeah. And he runs around with this ruby and it gives him his power. That seems very, very similar to what you are talking about.
2: Ooh, and you could, you could yeah. almost Highlander it. So like if you do use my idea where they broke the crystal into pieces, if you bring all of the crystals together, you do become the second coming of that god. So you end up spending your life finding the other pieces of this crystal and killing everybody, like Highlander style. Like, there could be only one.
1: Oh, that's cool. And, you, and your secret is that you know that nobody else does. It's just all of the decisions that you're making. The DM is po- pointing you down the road to put the crystals back together. Yeah. And everyone else is like, oh, hey, yeah, cool. You found another one. And everyone's just, like, shrugging it off. And then you get all 13 shards and become the supreme evil. Love it. Or whatever. <laughs> cool all right guys so
0: that'll be it for our episode uh today on clerics uh you can find us on itunes spotify and youtube as well as dozens of other podcast apps you could also find us at www.itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com thanks for listening to the it's a mimic podcast and make sure to check us out next week when we're covering constructs
2: okay bye You've reached the end of another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. Connect with us at it'samimic.com. Don't forget to subscribe and hit those share buttons. Thanks for listening and see you next week.
0: All right, guys. So uh, we have been talking about clerics again this episode. Um, and there is a little line in there um, in xanathar's about clerics being um they they get their powers either as a consequence of choosing a god or as a god choosing them and i don't know guys like this is a really weird perspective what do you guys think about this as as a uh um option for your clerics instead of being uh instead of choosing divine they are divinely chosen so uh let's grab our dice and roll and we'll have a little talk about it okay all right okay
1: so let's roll dice. I got a 14. I got a 15. Got yes, I'm going first. I don't know what the question was. <laughs>
0: uh what? Oh, how, what are your emotions toward divinely inspired people uh like choosing your god or your god choosing you? Uh both.
1: Frankly, it should be a certain amount of both. If your if a divine power chooses you, And you don't want it, that screams warlock to me. If you uh, choose your divine, your deity, and they don't choose you back, then what you have there is a NPC priest. A cleric is someone that has chosen their god, and the god has chosen them as a conduit for their powers, because it's got to be a two-way street on this one. You and your god um, are working together towards a common goal.
0: I would agree with you on that one Um, for the most part. However, I find the idea of a character who is divinely powered searching out who the deity that empowers them is. I, I like that kind of character arc. Like maybe you don't know what god it is, um, but you are granted these powers. So your character arc is trying to figure out what god has chosen you and why right i I like that character arc um i don't necessarily think that screams warlock um mostly because warlocks to me are more of a two-way street thing as well where you have to gain the benefit for doing something for the warlock like the warlock has to have the warlock patron has to have a reason and i don't see the cleric as necessarily needing that I, i i could see uh uh Player playing a character, and I've actually had it in one of my tables where they don't have an idea who their god is and they're trying to discover them.
1: I, yeah, you know, I like that to a point, but uh, frankly, I've seen it done a whole lot. It doesn't interest me anymore. Which god has given me these powers of, of, like, don't you just think you're a sorcerer at that point? Yeah, you're a divine sorcerer. Really? So.
0: But, but, but. I, I, I would take it one more step further, and if I trusted my DM, let them choose my spells. <laughs>
1: oh my god, no. don't
2: give Adam that power.
1: No, no, I <laughs> do, do not, I, no, I would never do that. I understand why you <laughs> say that, Dan, I think it makes a lot of sense, but uh, I would be very, very, very frustrated as a player mm. to sit down and say, oh, my only offensive spell is Cone of Cold, because thematically I've got an Ice God. Fuck that noise. See, see you, you
0: did you did this to me with my uh warlock. You gave me my list of spells that I got as a warlock. I
1: gave you a list of options and let you choose from them. Yeah. It's very different uh, than me selecting your spells.
2: Yeah But I mean like your spells are selected no matter what divine one you do technically, right? It's just that you're kind yeah. of making it more of a theme by selecting yep. your yeah. spells, right? Like you're almost picking your own domain once you if you're doing that decision because i don't know i'm kind of on the fence with utilizing both in different ways because i feel like fifth edition gives you that freedom to make those choices Mm -hmm. so like i like the idea of the cleric that i'm thinking about me growing up in church i had no idea what the heck god was when i was five but i was supposed to understand learn and follow whereas like i'm imagining a kid being born into a family that worshiped a god and now you are worshiping this god because you were raised to do so um And then you get these divine powers because, you know, you were sworn into like the community or what have you. And then you grow up with this deity that you are supposed to be following, not necessarily because you chose to, but because that's what you were taught, right? That's kind of what I feel a cleric being more of. So I do agree that a partnership needs to exist between a cleric and its God. But I think that that the joy is a fifth edition. It gives you the ability to interpret what that relationship looks like. Cool. Yeah.
1: The, the other thing that, I mean, I've got kind of a funky story. I don't really have permission to tell it in its full, so I'm not going to. But here's a true story. I'll hit the highlights of it. Um, I have a friend who uh, was not raised religious at all. And he went through a traumatic experience when he was in his early teens. And uh, he had nowhere else to turn. And so he ended up going into a church and he kind of toyed with the idea of praying and uh he actually asked god for a specific sign and said you know if you're real if you can help me give me a sign and then from his perspective he got the sign that he was looking for and he became intensely devout after that and that is a personal relationship that he has with god all of your all of your faith and your preconceptions and your own personal um opinions aside that's how I would run a cleric who was not raised in a church, but found their God and their God reached out to them. That's why I would run them in D&D because that's, that's a true story. That's a real story that happened to somebody that I know. And I think that it's a, it's a crazy anecdote and, um, and it's, it feels very D&D to me, right? The idea that you had nowhere else to turn. So you stop at a temple, you pray, and then the God answers your prayer and here we go i'm a level one cleric
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i feel like again that's to to my point that you could do both with the cleric right now with fifth edition because it's not very black and white of oh you follow this god because you have to right there is that open interpretation where you could cross class where suddenly randomly at level 15 you find a god that you feel like you want to worship and that you make a connection with and then suddenly you end up with cleric capabilities kind of like how to your point, Dan, you had a character that suddenly went Warlock because you made a connection with a god and you were yep. forced into this, you know, process and you were given your spells. But to the other sense of you're not forced into it, you made that choice, right? Yeah. But- well,
0: well, and and in, in Lockheed's defense, he was the one who was the, doing the self-sacrifice play. He's like, this is the only way out of this situation. Someone has to do it. Might as well be me. Yeah. Like that. That's what he did. So, and that's why he entered in the Warlock. I don't necessarily think that's why you would enter into a cleric relationship, because someone's got to be the holy man. Um, But, I mean, being a cleric in D&D is something that is so much easier to be, because the god... Like, playing an atheist in D&D sounds hard, because the gods are a very real thing. Like, an atheist isn't so much that the gods don't exist, it's that the gods lack power in D&D. Yeah.
1: So... Um, or that they don't bother with the primaterial plane. Like, sure, they they prance yeah. around on Mount Celestia. They have nothing to do with whether or not my field gets tilled by the end of the of the harvest season.
0: Yeah, that that that's that's a lesser form of deism where it's like God is just left, like God exists, but they it has no interest in us anymore. And that 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 is a common train of thought on Earth as well. So, mm-hmm. um, um, I I, I love. I, I love the nuance in religion when it comes to when it comes to this game. And I, I have a feeling most of that's just because of my background. um, But I don't know, like having a have, there, there having, used to be something called a divine soul, right? And a divine soul was a was a martial character that was kind of an answer to the paladin where uh it was a chosen uh champion of a god. And the uh, clerics in this edition fit that very well. Well, and there's like, also I, divine I
1: soul sorcerers, like it's right there in the name. We don't talk about those
2: <laughs> those
1: fucking you, things. You're damn right; they don't make an ounce of sense. Do you ever, <laughs> do you ever have a cleric that wonders aloud? Maybe he's taken a couple levels in bard. Does he? Does he ever wonder what if God was one of us?
2: Well, I mean, that's where the song uh, came from, right? A bard sang that once.
0: <laughs> well I, I was gonna ask is this bard in aracocra god damn and man. and maybe 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 their name is cheryl crow Boo.
2: oh god i Boo. can't it's, do this it's a kanku
1: it's a kankoo. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's just just repeating it
2: stop it <laughs> Thank you for listening to an it's a mimic production <laughs>
1: Okay you're done. Get it. <laughs> <laughs>